Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Welcome back to PR360. Our guest today is Rick Like, the Executive Vice President, Managing Director of Mower PR and PA Group. Rick implements a full range of communications programs and is part of the Mower Reputation Management Team, which prepares clients for media interviews, key stakeholder presentations, and potential crisis situations. He's developed award-winning campaigns for Freightliner Trucks, Troy Built, Guinness Stout, Mitsubishi Power Systems, Starbucks, and I Love New York. Rick is the founder of Pints for Prostates, a 501c3 health charity that reaches men through the universal language of beer. And uh, that's one that I love to speak. Uh, on this episode, we're going to talk a bit about crisis communication. Uh, but before we get into that, just seeing that you had worked with Guinness before, uh, it was, was there any time that uh, you went over some of the traditions associated with Guinness, like how to drink a Guinness, how to pour a Guinness, because I know that there's a lot of lore and history involved with that brand. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, Guinness, um, the folks at Guinness like to say that you drink it with your eyes before it ever touches your lips. So it's <laughs> it's critical in the in the pub environment that you get a uh, you get that that perfect pint, and so one of the programs we worked on with Guinness was actually um, a training program uh, for bars and restaurants in the U.S. Uh, to teach uh, bar staff how to properly pour a pint. Because if you can't get that right, the whole Guinness experience really isn't what it should be. Yeah, was that known as the perfect pint? Because I think I remember hearing about that. Yeah, we we worked with on with them on that. We developed a full set of um, training materials for waitstaff, uh, videos, uh, programs that were out there, and and Guinness had a number of the uh, sort of ingredients for that program. Mm -hmm. um, so they did have um, sort of mystery shopper awards programs uh, that that they would go into pints and or in the pubs, excuse me, and award them certificates for for properly serving Guinness. So. We were trying to uh, help them build that program up as they went into their traditional um, selling period around St. Patrick's Day that's so important for that brand. Right, right. And I, I did see a video the other day, and it was on Instagram, and there was a guy, and um, he was showing somebody how to properly drink a Guinness, not just pour it. And he was like, the first sip must go all the way down to the letters on the cup. And, I, and that's a big, like, four-inch gulp. I was like, I don't know if that's tradition or whether that was just a funny video, but... <laughs> I don't think that was a core brand message. <laughs> okay, but, good, good. But it's such a great beer that you do want to take a big gulp the first time it touches your lips. So there's a little bit there. As part of the uh, Mower Reputation Management Team, obviously you are uh, uh, an expert when it comes to crisis communications. And uh, I guess, what are Mower's five rules it uses in crisis communications? Yeah, we, we try to talk to clients about the fact that in a, in a crisis, everything moves pretty rapidly and, and people assess you on, on uh, what you're doing from a 
uh, you know, from the moment they first hear about the crisis. So, so you know, we have we have a set of rules that we ask uh, clients to try to follow when they're in these situations. Um, you know, one of the rules is that if the bad if bad news is going to come out anyway, um, you should be the one to do it and release that proactively. Um, mm-hmm. And and be you know be upfront with that, and you know going along with that rule. Rule number two is that um, you know you should always share the bad news with friends first. Um, so those are the people closest in you. Those are your employees, um, maybe your customers, maybe your vendors, others that are there who could, in a time of crisis, be be somebody who might defend you or, or somebody who knows your brand. Um, who can who can be kind of that voice of reason if somebody starts to to be really critical of what's going on? Um, we also, um, from a you know from a rule standpoint, we like to see um, clients um, take all their hits in in round one, as we mm-hmm. we like to say. You know, if, um, if we can get the news out there and uh, in a in a coordinated fashion, that's a lot better than having um, the story come out piecemeal and linger. You know, most of the damage to a reputation in a crisis typically doesn't come from the event itself. It's the it's the damage to reputations come from um, things that happen afterwards. If people perceive that you're not being um, straightforward with them, that you're you're covering up some information, that's where we see a lot of damage being done to brands. So, um, you know, as we look at it with, um, you know, with that, the next, uh, the next thing that we talk to people about is, um, is also anticipating questions, answering those tough questions before they're even asked. Um, and, you know, th- it helps, it helps if, if you're particularly in that room, um, almost always in an executive's career, at least once, probably more often, you're going to walk into that angry room. <laughs> and if people get the sense that, that you're giving them the answers to questions they already have on their mind, it diffuses some of that anger. Um, and, and, you know, you'll get respect from the media and the public for being honest if you, if you approach it that way. Um, Let's say that someone is the, you know, the chief executive walking into the room uh, where they're going to be facing some anger. Uh, what's the proper attitude that they should go in with in order to, you know, be genuine, but also not to amplify the anger? Because I've seen sometimes when the person goes into make that speech and they seem kind of surly or they, you know, or combative. And then it just seems to blow the situation up. And as you were saying earlier, you know, it's how you approach it, which, you know, which the the worst problem is not approaching it correctly and making it worse. Uh, What's the proper attitude? Yeah. Well, you know, in in that type of situation, uh, we're always telling our clients that, that you can show empathy um, you can um, you can take steps to talk about what has happened without necessarily um, taking blame or or fully accepting responsibility that that something you did led to the issue. Um, there are certainly mm-hmm. cases where that's true, and you need to you need to be ready to do that. But um, but you know when somebody comes in there um, and um, you know they're trying to delay, deceive. Um, dissemble the information. It's it's that's a um, that's a death strategy from a from a reputation standpoint. 
Um, so we we try to we try to talk to clients about anticipating the questions you're going to be asked, um, and also get them to realize that depending upon the crisis, you know there 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 are crises where um, you know there there may be lives at stake. There's certainly in a lot of situation jobs um, at stake, and and um, you know maybe money and property and other things uh, that that people feel threatened about. Um, and so those are situations where folks, um, where their emotional level is 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 going to be high, um, and so you have to realize that and come into the room uh, not with a combative uh, tone to your voice and and be there really to to try to provide information, um, to try to show that you're working on the problem, um, to you know to go through a process where. Um, where they feel like, um, okay, the, these folks are, um, see the issue. You know, it, it's, it's that process of letting them know you've noticed what's going on. You care about it. Um, you're inserting some control here and doing something about it to minimize the damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, you're, you're assessing and you're going to take steps to make sure, um, something like this doesn't happen down the road. And people, I think now, you know, we're, we're, we're accustomed to that kind of instant 24 seven news cycle, right? And, and Todd, you know, if, if, if people feel like, Hey, there's a gap between their, this, this organization knowing some information that I need to know and I have a right to know and the time that they share it with me. When those gaps start to become really clear, um, then a, then a company, um, has an issue on their hands. Now, I would sense that as someone who's on the crisis, you know, management team, as the people approaching, looking at this situation, A, you want to address it as fast as possible, but the when you act quickly about something and in real time, you're more apt to make mistakes. So how do you square that circle between being prepared and being quick? Yeah, um, we... we we drill our folks on the fact that you never want to speculate in these situations. So, so there's, there's speed with reason behind it. Um, and we always want to prepare for a crisis so that we have, um, you know, facts and data at our control that we can start to get out there. You know, facts, facts dissolve rumors. Um, they help eliminate speculation and it may, it may be just facts adjacent to the crisis. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, number of employees at a location, how long you've been there, what types of products are produced there. Um, those types of things that, that can help in the situation. Um, we also, um, try to make sure that, um, our clients consider doing a crisis simulation drill, at least on an annual basis to prepare. So, uh, getting into that, let's talk about the simulation. How does one run a crisis uh, simulation? Because we don't necessarily know where the crisis is going to come from, right? Yes, true. Um, There are so many things that can happen these days. But what we try to do um, with our process is to alert clients to the fact that, um, you know, in a crisis, it's not the time for your team to first get together and work on a a difficult situation. Um, Mm -hmm. So our process is typically um, to work with someone inside the organization um, to look at likely crises that that they may face. And so we want to develop a a real world scenario um, so that the people gathered in the room 
can say, oh, you know, yeah, that that could happen to us. Sometimes um, our ideas are ripped right from the headlines. You know, we're looking at a at a, a maybe a competitor company or somebody in an adjacent industry where we look at a situation and say, okay, let's let's adapt that um, to the simulation drill. But um, we want more people in the room than just you know your your CEO and chief communications officer and maybe your CFO. Um, they're part of that team, um, but we want to bring the people together who are going to have to answer um, questions, dig out information, um, you know, folks, human resources, legal, um, operations, logistics. Um, these are the people in a crisis that you're going to rely heavily on for information. Um, so we want that executive team to realize that, yeah, you may have a core team that makes business decisions on a regular basis. But in a crisis, you have to expand that in the right way so that you've got the, the eyes and the ears and the brains in the room that you're going to need. Yeah. It's, it's kind of reminds me of someone I was speaking to recently was talking about how PR, uh, a lot of companies that are kind of new to hiring PR firms, or they think that PR is just for something, hey, we've got a launch of a product, let's get some you know PR behind it. And not that the idea that a good PR is running constantly within your company and is integrated into it and with that that's just like being prepared for a crisis before it happens right yeah you know it's it's like anything you you don't want to start to build the fire station once you know there's a big fire in your town right <laughs> right um and, and you know we we talk about the fact that um, stakeholder audiences um, communicating with them on a regular basis um, and having um, proactive and positive media relations um, is is really an investment in your organization. Um, you know, we know from uh, research that we've seen that's been done that most organizations have a 20% chance uh, during a, a, a five-year, I'm sorry, they have an 80% chance within a five-year period of time to face a crisis that could um, have um, a real impact on brand equity, at least mm -hmm. a 20% um, hit on brand equity in that five-year period. So you know it's going to happen. And right. depending upon your business and, and what, what you're doing, it could be more often than that. Um, the organizations that, uh, that tend to fail in a crisis situation are those who think, you know, this can't happen. This yeah. just won't happen to us. Yeah, that's always that's always the the bad the bad approach to things. This all won't happen to me. Then that, that it's going to happen to you. Um, let's see here. Uh, can you specifically think of a time? Obviously, maybe you don't want to probably name names or whatever, but a situation where um, crisis management uh, crisis management actually made things worse than the actual crisis. Bad crisis management makes you know can make Correct. the situation yeah. worse, and and you know and and so typically um, that emerges when um, when you do have an executive who who wants to um, you know wants to say things like well why do why do they care or why do I have to answer that question and and as soon as you find yourself saying that um, you know people today are empowered to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in a lot of cases they have a legitimate right. You know, if it's, if it's a neighbor and something is going on in your facility, um, that has an impact on them and they have a right to ask. 
um, you know, employee groups. Um, we're, we're seeing um, unions being revitalized. And, and I think some of that comes from the fact that there have been organizations out there who haven't necessarily uh, done a done a good job in employee communications and working with those, um, you know, with those groups. So, um, you know, I don't want to get in any specifics that we've seen, but, you know, you can um, you can look at the news and and pretty easily tell, you know, who's handling a crisis properly and who who has um, decided that um, that, you know, they ought to ignore the crisis at the start. And that's that's one of the biggest issues um, that we see out there. It's Interesting that someone who is a chief officer who's obviously thought about their role in a company, uh, I, I would always think in the back of my mind, uh, I don't want to end up being that type of, of, of chief officer at a company, the one that ignores the big problem and becomes the punchline or the headline to a situation, right? But I guess maybe it's human nature to try to run away from things like that uh, as much as possible. Let's talk real quick here about... Uh, you have started a 501c3 health charity uh, called Pints for Prostates. And as somebody, uh, prostate cancer has hit home. It's, you know, been in my family and probably just about everybody's family. Uh, as men age, the likelihood goes through the roof, right? Um, and I also, as a fan of beer, as we were talking about earlier, so how did you meld these two things together to help people out? Yeah, well, I'm a prostate cancer survivor. Um, oh. I was diagnosed in, in 2008 and successfully treated. Um, there was a, a colleague of mine at Mower um, who had late-stage prostate cancer and mm. urged a bunch of us to get screened. And okay. I was 47 at the time um, and, you know, really no symptoms, no family history and sort of ignored it to start with, but to kind of get him to just, you know, shut up and get off my back. I went and got screened um, and found out that I that I was indeed um, uh, had prostate cancer and and uh, needed to you know needed to get it treated. So um, I thought about you know what could I do. My friend at the agency did a really great job. He had a big friends network. Um, he was one of those types of people that could that could lean on you and get you to get screened. Um, I I don't have that kind of personality where I can necessarily do that. Um, but I started thinking about um, the fact that I had a lot of friends in the beer industry. And so men and beer kind of uh, there was an intersection there that I saw where, you know, we could have some, um, you know, we could we could have some fun with the idea of, of getting screened and knowing your numbers and and being aware of prostate cancer. And so that's where prostate that's where Pints for Prostates came from. Um, actually, at the time, Mower helped with. Uh, developing our logo and branding for it. They were supportive, um, which was great. And we've been doing this since, uh, uh, since 2008. Um, we've, we've been able to fund screening for thousands of guys um, over the years. We just had our uh, major fundraising event, the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, that happens um, in Colorado during the Great American Beer Festival. Um, oh, and we, we screened, uh, last week, we screened 130 guys at at that event. So, so it's a, you know, it's a beer festival. It's a, it's a, it's a beer tasting, if you will. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're, we're asking guys to roll up their sleeves and, you know, anyone born, born with a prostate who is 40 plus years old should, should know their PSA number. So it's a simple blood test and, and it saves lives. 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You know, I guess uh, the best campaigns are the ones that uh, come together seamlessly, right? Yeah, there's the, you know, the the ideas, um, anything that we do in marketing, um, the simple things and the things that you can see um, a lot of connectivity directly to that audience you're trying to reach. Sometimes those are the best, the best avenues to take. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Rick. Uh, how can people follow you and how can people uh, learn more about Pints for Prostates? Well, Pints for Prostates is uh, is online. It's pintsforprostates.org, all spelled out. As far mm-hmm. as following me, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can also um, go to mower.com and um, you know find out a little bit about our organization and, and the work we do. All right. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Rick. Thanks, Todd, for having me. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.